The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Okay, so good evening, everyone. Um, my name is some of. Can you hear me? Okay, now is this in a good position? Okay. So um, sorry if you couldn't hear earlier. I didn't see that the mic had been set up here. So my name is Mira Young, and I'm a longtime Sangha member and one of the teachers and practice leaders in the community. And I teach in different settings, including um, um, integrating um, these practices into psychotherapy and grief work and teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction and in academic settings as well as in the community. And um, tonight, Shelley Graff and I were going to tag team together, and uh, we both came down with the cold flu, anyone having some version of this stuff. And uh, um, I, I had a mild relapse, but she's still struggling with it, so you just have me tonight. And um, I'm happy to sub and support uh, Common Ground and... Uh, and it gives me a chance to um, go deeper into my own practice as well in preparing for the talk. So tonight's talk is called, called Being a Light Unto Yourself. Being a Light Unto Yourself. And these are actually the Buddha's last words on his deathbed were to be a lamp unto yourself or to be a light unto yourself. So I was thinking I'd like to give a little context for this talk. It's the time of the winter solstice, which is usually a time of reflection, introspection, and letting go. Often there's a fire, and we let go tomorrow, uh, Friday night, of things that we would like to release, to be free of, to free our hearts from. And uh, we, we do this as part of a ritual um, so some of you may be in, involved in that. And in any case, it's a reflective time of year, and, uh, and this, this time seems to call to us to look more deeply as we come towards the end of the secular year, New Year as well. And I was at um, a uh, kirtan, which is a, and a celebration of Rumi's birthday um, on Sunday, and I... The name of the group was playing was Wild Moon Bhaktas. And uh, there was tabla and sitar and vocals and drum, different um, instruments. And uh, it just kind of spontaneous arose. Some friends were going, and I decided to go, I was, even though I was still recovering from this cold. And uh, there was a sharing of people took turns coming up and reading Rumi. And it felt like this bath of light and love and community in the midst of this time of year and with so much painful um, political and uh, uh, geological and war and you know hearing the stories and seeing the images coming out of Yemen. I mean, just a lot of brokenheartedness. And I thought that, that tonight that we would look to some of what are the ways that we um, connect and find that, that light within and also how to discern 
what is um, wise action for us. So I'm going to draw from some different sources, um, including the third noble truth, which is about letting go or cessation and impermanence. Another factor that's come up is um, some recent losses. The last elder in my lineage, my um, aunt, who lived abroad most of her life, passed away at the age of 91 around Thanksgiving. And that's caused me a lot of reflection as well, you know, and um, realizing that she was, a friend wrote me an email today and said, sorry to hear about your loss of your aunt. And I mean, I'm glad she could let go. She was in a lot of pain and suffering, and um, but also she was very aware um, and lived in her own apartment. And but it, but a, a friend said something like, you know, the last person that knew you as a child, you know. And I remember um, her phone calls from France and the gifts she would send, and a recent conversation. She's the last one that knew me as a young child growing up and um, through my life. And when my mother passed away about seven years ago, she says, you have me. (laughs) So I've been sending her good wishes in her journey. And then another longtime Dharma brother here at Common Ground, his picture's on the altar, Paul Knorr, who we started sitting together, wow, well over 20, 25 years ago maybe, Um, many long retreats. And he and I would have this, be like this thing to be the last yogis in the hall. For me, it was like that, like, okay, Paul's up, I can sit here. (laughs) And I'd be inspired by his practice. This man could sit and walk for hours, and he seemed to be quite mindful, unlike me, barely trying to stay awake. But um, I really appreciated Paul, and even though he no longer lived here, I just feel gratitude. And so... You know, just seeing the impermanence, beings passing away, and knowing that um, we are all here for who knows how long. So the Buddha said, be a light unto yourself. Betake yourselves to no external refuge. Hold fast to the truth. Look not for refuge to anyone beside yourself. In his last days on earth, the Buddha told his beloved disciple Ananda, be a lamp unto yourself. The Buddha was telling Ananda that he too has the potential to awaken and be free in any moment of his life. He was telling us all. He's telling us all that we all have the potential to awaken at any moment in our life. He was, from the Buddha's words in the Udana, he said, Just as all the great oceans of the world have one taste, the taste of salt, so do the teachings of the Dhamma, but one taste, the taste of freedom. So I'd like to share most of the poem by Mary Oliver called The Buddha's Last Instructions. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha, before he died. I think of this every morning as the east begins to tear off its many clouds of darkness to send up the first signal, a 
a white fan streaked with pink and violet, even green. As an old man, he lay down between two solid trees, and he might have said anything, knowing it was his final hour. The light burns upward, it thickens and settles over the fields, and around him the villagers gathered and stretched forward to listen. And even before the sun itself hangs detached in the blue air, I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life, and then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills, like a million flowers on fire. Clearly, I'm not needed. Into something of inexplicable value, slowly beneath the branches he raised his head. He looked into the faces of the frightened crowd. Make a light of yourself. Make of yourself a light. So I don't know if any of you have heard the term, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, that Gandhi... um, um, drew from, drawing from satya, meaning um, truth, and um, and graha, which means to grasp or to hold to something, to hold to truth. So satya graha. Um, someone involved in um, peace activism and part of the Buddhist fellowship, uh, Patrick Emerson, shared some of his thoughts about it. And so the third noble truth is, is that this emerged from the Buddha's intensive period of practice, that we could have liberation. The third noble truth is that there is freedom, there is awakening. And that when we're really being a light unto ourselves, we're really listening deeply to what is true. And to draw on that, because no one knows what is the best way for us. And I'll give you some more guidelines that come from the teachings about discernment um, that come from the suttas shortly. But I know this also to be true, you know, witnessing people's journeys, teaching, guiding, that I don't have a clue of what is right or true for anyone. You know, we each have to listen to our own way of knowing and wisdom and to try to, to clear that out. Okay? That's good. So, um, this is, if we want to unfold the third noble truth in relation to social suffering, it would behoove us to make contemplative practice the ground of our life as well. This is not an intellectual exercise. Meditation practice is one of the most powerful ways to discover an embodied way the truths of non-duality, no separate self that are at the core of liberation. In a cautionary tale from my own life, he says, there have been many times as a socially engaged Buddhist, I got swept away by engagement and gave short shrift to practice. A lot was lost when that happened, 
For me, meditation practice has been the wellspring of satyagraha. This is the truth force, grasping and holding to the truth. As Mahatma Gandhi described it, any movement or activist that cannot harness satyagraha is on the way to making anyone who can harness that truth is on the way to making the third noble truth a living reality. So paying attention, this is a deep inquiry. We can't just take the truth, and nowadays it's very shaky, right? And if we just go with the gut feeling, we might not always be accurate either, what feels comfortable, because we might be missing something you know, from our conditioning, from our privilege. So the Buddha um, was challenged to help the Kalamas in the Kalamata Sutta to sort out their confusion. There were a lot of teachers at the time going from town to town, espousing their doctrines and, and also putting down others and saying, ours is the way, those other guys are full of it, we got it, listen to us. And so they had heard about um, the Buddha, and um, he came into their town or their area, and they went to him and they said, we're really confused. How do we, how do we sort this stuff out? And they had heard about his reputation and his um, you know, level of awakening and um, his sila, his, his, um, his values, living the holy life. And they asked him, how do we sort this out? And he basically encouraged their skepticism, encouraged them to question and to test all the teachings. He asked us to see for ourselves what is true and also how to test it out. So he says, Kalamaz, don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture inference, analogies, agreement, through pondering views or thought. This is our contemplative teacher. When you know for yourselves that these qualities are skillful, these qualities are blameless, these qualities are praised by the wise, these qualities, when adopted and carried out, lead to welfare and happiness. Then you should enter and remain in them. So he asked us, asked them, and he goes through very much, if you want to look at the sutta, um, to look at greed, hatred, and delusion, and to measure what you're hearing do, does it does it cause harm, you know, or doesn't it cause harm, you know? Does it does it give rise to greed and hatred, or does it not give rise to greed and hatred? Does it give rise to delusion, or does it give rise to wisdom? and to really discern and to test and to inquire, including your own beliefs and ideas, you know. Um, and then also to rely on wise elder, wise sources. doesn't always have to be an elder. I learn a lot from my younger colleagues and fellow practitioners where those spots are that I'm not seeing. And to have people that are wise that you can also see and get other input on. So these are some ways we can begin to inquire and have a deeper relationship with the truth and be 
a light onto ourselves. Larry Rosenberg of Vipassana Teacher says, paying attention to our own experience of suffering rather than our conceptual notions of letting go gave us a chance to see the benefits of the Four Noble Truths in the crucible of our own lives. The transformation of suffering comes from awareness, is the most powerful when it's intimate with the experience of your own life. Inquire, question, test your understanding of the teachings. I love this last part. So it becomes bone deep. Bone deep. You know, you can really feel it in your bones. And even Philip Moffat in his book talks about the confidence of beginning to know what you know, to really come to the understanding, not just from reading, not just from hearing, but really exploring, questioning, and testing it out, not to just believe things. And as we know, there's so much that is um, being bandied about and, and uh, is not true or is, not, is based on greed, hatred, and delusion. I'd like to share a poem with you by um, a writer. Um, this is uh, Rebecca Del Rio, a Mexican-American um, writer and songwriter. And she has this wonderful poem. I think you'll love the title. Prescription for the Disillusioned. How's that one? Prescription for the Disillusioned. Come, new to this day, remove the rigid overcoat of experience, the notion of knowing, the beliefs that cloud your vision. Leave behind the stories of your life, spit out the sour taste of unmet expectations. Let the stale scent of what-ifs waft back into the swamp of your useless fears. Arrive, arrive curious, without the armor of certainty, the plans and the planned results of the life you imagined. Live the life you choose, that chooses you, new, every breath, every blink of your astonished eyes. Oh, thank you, Rebecca. So, again and again, the Buddha returned to the concept of freedom and liberation as essential for our ability to find some kind of relief or release from suffering of life. We must, in some way, release our own captive hearts and minds. It is through compassion and loving kindness that this is the way to relieve suffering, opening the grasping, clinging hand and releasing what is holding us in its grip. So letting go, this letting go, cessation. What is cessation for you? What is this radical letting go of the third noble truth? So um, I'd like to share something from... um, Philip Moffat on the Third Noble Truth. Imagine your mind totally free of craving, 
ill will, and delusion. It is clear, alert, unaffected by internal and external conditions, whether pleasant and unpleasant. The liberated mind state is what comes with the realization of the third noble truth. And then there's the invitation that um, even though there's many different definitions of what liberation is, to keep that inquiry, what does cessation mean to me? Ajahn Sumedho advises, do not feel as though you have to have any particular, embrace any particular teacher's interpretations of total cessation, or even if you have, to quickly open your understanding of cessation. Let it be an open question, a mystery, and live the question. What is the pos- What is possible in the way of freedom for me right now in this very moment as I am? Right now in this very moment as I am. Those years ago when Paul and I used to sit together, I was totally convinced that freedom was eons away and that um, I, I was totally inadequate, and I had to practice harder and harder and harder. And the harder I practiced, I think the further away um, I was to the truth of the understanding that it's really about letting go, and letting go, and even letting go of the idea that, that I am somehow flawed and not worthy enough to awaken. And again, that doesn't mean I've woken up. It just means that I've woken up from some of the delusion and confusion that I think that we all have this capacity. And in any moment, freedom is available. So one of the issues I want to address on this journey also has to do with race. I realized that as I was reflecting on the winter solstice and the emphasis on the light, that I realize that I more and more have gotten uncomfortable with the use of the word dark and darkness because it's been so associated in our culture with somehow negativity. Um, And that um, for me, that this time of this time where the days are the shortest, and we have this opportunity to deepen, is a kind of a, a positive experience, even though vitamin D is helpful, right? <laughs> can be depressing, it was sure gray today. But, you know, just the sense of, of how to use the language. And I've really, as you can maybe see, is that I've been avoiding using this word um, most of this talk. So I did some research on it, and it's amazing what arose. So um, this was from um, an article by a UU minister in Maryland named Greg, Carl Gregg, and then I found some other writings. And he said that the cold, dark days of winter, the barren branches of the trees in our northern hemisphere, invite us to see the virtues of stillness, of patience, of waiting for new life and hope. Um, Albert Camus said, In the depth of winter, I finally learned that within me there lay invincible summer. 
And yet in this country, we are in a season of tragic reminders of pervasive racial injustice. And as we continue to reflect on the meaning of winter solstice, this darkest day of the year, experiment with the spirituality of winter, we can talk about the conscious and unconscious associations with words such as dark, night, and black, and then goes on to list all of those black associations that are so racially charged in our culture, like black male, um, black mood, black-hearted, black market, right? And that the good guys wear white and the bad guys wear black. We fear black cats, the dark continent. It's okay to tell a white lie. Lily white hands, pure as the driven snow. You know, all of these things, you know, just starting to feel more and more um, hurtful, harmful, hateful. We shape language and are shaped by it in our culture, you know. So really looking at how we esteem that which is light Um, I came across another article about this idea of a solar spirituality where you kind of cut off the lower chakras, you cut off from nature, from the feminine, from that which is death and illness and decay, and you just live up here, disconnected. Um, We see this a lot these days. I listened to a program today about coal and black lung and um, the greed and how the coal companies don't want to pay a, a, a tax to pay into the fund to treat their miners with black lung disease. You know, and, and on and on. And, and, and again, degradation of the environment. So this understanding of this non-binary the solar lunar spirituality of coming together masculine and feminine and to redefine how we use these words and these terms. How can we welcome darkness to not be afraid or deny it and to see that it brings us relief, that seeds grow in the dark, in the fertile earth. The words black and dark don't need to be destroyed or ignored, he said, only balanced and claimed in their wholeness. The words white and light don't need to be destroyed or ignored, only balanced and claimed in their wholeness. Imagine a world that only had light or dark. We need both, dark and light, light and dark. So such perspectives on learning to embrace is a spirituality of winter. Darkness, silence, and stillness may be more important than ever at these times. So really redefining how we um, use these terms and language. So I just invite you with that and also to share in the struggle to try to bring more awareness um, and equity and healing. I'd like to share a poem Um, from Alice Walker, and I'm going to leave us some time for sharing with each other and then discussing and coming together tonight. Um, I mean, I always have prepared more than enough, but I think tonight I'm going to keep it shorter and simpler. And this is called The Prayer to Great Awareness by Alice Walker. Um, 
the you know all know Alice Walker, African American writer, Dharma practitioner. It's she's quite amazing. Prayer for the awareness for awakening. I do not doubt that you are there and I am also in some future past time and that all together we are enjoying it all. And so I thank you, great awareness, in which I also live for calla lilies and birds, hollyhocks and bougainvillea, and the aroma of a good pasole, and the t- fit of a new dress. There are then the stars that I love and the rivers I adore and the single leaves of trees in which I can lose my, my temporary, I, which I can lose my temporary this moment self in, the sheer wonder of it all and women marching everywhere and being the most wondrous of the human lot with their amazing capacity to recreate the human universe. O great everlasting awareness, I have been with you while you looking for you, while you, while looking for you all my life, and here you turn up today as you do every day as myself, all the awakened women, children, and men in the world and everything else. So let's sit, and I'm going to um, invite you to take a few moments And I will, since I started talking about Rumi, I will read one little Rumi poem at this time called Bird Wings. Your hand opens and closes, opens and closes. If it were always a fist or always stretched open, you would be paralyzed. Your deep presence is in every small contracting and expanding, the two as beautifully balanced and coordinated as bird wings. What does cessation, letting go, mean for you? What are those moments of freedom in your life? How do you listen deeply to the light within yourself, the lamp, the wisdom, the truth, Satya Graha? How do you embrace and go dark into the silence, the unknowing?
When you're ready, if you wish, I invite you to turn to a partner or two, twos or threes, whatever feels right, and maybe just share anything that's um, present for you at this time of year. May the inquiries guide you. And uh, at this time, as we're at this time of winter solstice. And then we'll come back together for some sharing and comments or questions. Thank you. Uh, I'm Michael. And um, I guess we went down lots of threads, but we kind of were initially starting, we were kind of like talking about the juxtaposition between, um, like you were talking about earlier, letting go and mentioning the solstice and... um, it was in the poem of talking about learning from the uh, the barren trees, and ha- this is the time to be patient. And we were kind of looking at the juxtaposition of that between kind of the mania of the holiday season right now in this the the dominant culture <laughs> of uh, Christmas shopping and gift giving and um, and uh, all that madness, <laughs> in my in my opinion, <laughs> and it being really kind of grateful to, or me being grateful to be able to see the other side of the coin, I think. Do you want to say your name? Yeah. I'm Mike. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just wanted to share that I've been, I seem to have been meeting a lot of people or talking with friends who have, who have mentioned that they're, they suffer from like seasonal depression. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've never experienced this myself because I'm someone who really enjoys winter and winter sports and everything. So I've been trying to kind of just let that in because it's, it's real for them. It's like a really kind of a dark period of, um, discomfort. And, you know, there seems to be like actual, you know, physiological effects to deficiencies from the sun and, and you know whether that's true or not is not really important because it's they they seem to be really suffering. So yeah, it's just been something I've been kind of uh, observing and and really trying to let in. Whereas I think historically I've just kind of dismissed it as like um, just because it's something I've never experienced as being kind of like you know what is that? So yeah. Oh great, that's great to expand the compassion because it is a real thing, you know, and when those biochemical things are off and the co- the countries that have um, less of the, the sun um, have higher rates of depression, alcoholism, suicide in general. Yeah. yeah so uh, um, how about letting go? Anyone want to share something they're going to let go of? I'm going to have a little gathering tomorrow night, early solstice. And anyone want to say anything about letting go or anything else before we close tonight? Yeah. I'm Ruth, and I um, I was really struck by what you said, and I don't remember the words exactly, but when you were speaking about um, kind of saying yes to the life that is 
what presenting itself to you or mm -hmm. something along yes, these lines. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I think that that's the that's for me the like a perennial delusion and even my, some of my earliest memories were planning truly. I mean, I remember as a young girl I would plan what everything I was going to do in the summer and then I never accomplished it and then I felt like a loser and I was like six or something, you know. Um and so I know I have a lot of like of that uh kind of historical planning mind but just uh the letting go of the delusion that i can control anything is so would be such a weight <laughs> to give up you know because in fact the life that is here is actually i mean if i direct my attention towards things there's wonderful things and there's neutral things going on um so if i can just continue to let go into what is happening every day and be curious about it and thankful for it. Um, that, that was a very um, powerful teaching. Thank you. Yeah, and that was that um, poem yeah. um, about uh, um, waking, about the prescription for the disillusioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so much of our suffering is mind-made. It's mental suffering and, and that judgmental mind. That's where... The, the liberation of awareness of starting to recognize those patterns and habits of mind and maybe starting to say, you know, we're, like inquire, you know, what, what, am, what, is, what is the belief or what's being clung to that's causing suffering or what to start to inquire or bring awareness and compassion to it. Because I think the thing is that sometimes if we just bring mindfulness without compassion, we, we get use mindfulness like a bat. That's what I used to do. It was like, you know, rather than, okay, yes, oh, caught in that one, you know, my darling. <laughs> oh, ouch, you know, and then letting go happening because it's it, you have the closed fist. But you can't be open all the time either, right? It's, it's this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so thank you, Ruth, thank you. Anything else before we close up? You're here on a dark night, <laughs> a beautiful night. So thank you, everyone. And let's uh, take a moment of gratitude, and then let's share the merit of our practice. And um, through this season and through, you know, really sharing the values, the wholesome values of the Dharma to support each other. You know, it's such turbulent times and where there's so many untruths and um, perpetuated as truths and how to really um, find those people, places, and ways to um, ground ourselves amidst them all and to continue to inquire and be a light, a lamp unto yourself. So let's just sit and connect with our desire for liberation and freedom and share the merit, the blessings of our lives and our practice with one another and all beings, near and dear and far and wide. You can bring people and places to mind if you wish. Children of Yemen starving, living in war. People here 
that are transitioning from the homeless camp nearby. People in places that known and unknown we share our lives with. Just as far and wide as the heart wants to go, it may be your own heart that's suffering. And then radiating out the loving kindness in all directions. May all sentient beings know true peace, true happiness, and freedom. Thank you, everyone. And This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org dot org slash donate.